I'm Deidre. And I'm Chelsea. And we're giving you a a million murders. This has been a good singing day. Mm -hmm. I live for it. Hello, everyone. Hello. How's it going? It's good. It's good. How are you? I'm good. 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 Hope you all are doing well. Happy yes. Friday. Happy Friday. <laughs> Means we definitely got to post this one on Friday. Or I have to definitely <laughs> post this one on Friday. <laughs> Happy Friday. It's aired on Tuesday. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so for this week, I'm going to do a case that we did back on Screaming Sugar. Because I think it's a really interesting case. Um, And so I figured I'd pull that back up. Mm -hmm. I still have like this one and one more that I haven't covered on this podcast that are just two interesting murders. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do it. So the one I picked today is the murder of of Sherry Rasmussen. Mm -hmm. Okay, here we go. On February 24th, 1986... Sherry Rasmussen, a 29-year-old woman who had just celebrated her birthday two weeks before, was with her husband, John Rutten, at their condo in Van Nuys, California. She was preparing a motivational speech she was scheduled to give that day at work and was not looking forward to it, (laughs) which I feel like I wouldn't be either. Mm -mm. Like, ugh. And it's a motivational speech. It's not just like a regular speech. Yeah. It's just a lot. So she wasn't looking forward to it, and she felt it was a tactic managers use that isn't very effective, mm-hmm. which I can see that. Mm-hmm. You know, people are oh, burned yeah. out. It's like, oh, yeah. look, like I'm not feeling it. <laughs> so um, her husband, John, was heading to work when she told him she might call in sick. <laughs> she's like, she's like, I don't know. I may not even go in because um, she had hurt her back the day before working out and was going to use that as an excuse. So at 9.45 a.m., a neighbor noticed their garage door was open but couldn't see a car and figured no one was at home. Van Nuys is a region of L.A., so I'm sure they wanted to let someone know in case they forgot to close it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like living in a small town. You leave it open, like, you know, all night or something. You're like, oh, oops. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. that probably needs to be closed. So uh 15 minutes later john made the first of several unanswered calls home throughout the day sherry's sister also called without hearing from her around noon two men who the neighbor believed were gardeners in the complex gave her and her husband a purse they'd found that turned out to be sherry's Mm. yeah a maid cleaning a nearby unit said she heard what sounded like two people fighting then something falling around 12 30 p.m When John returned home that evening, he also found the garage door open along with broken glass on the driveway. The BMW he bought for Sherry as an engagement gift was also missing. So, which, first of all, okay, Mm -hmm. come on, Beamer, for an engagement present? Like, you already got her a ring and now you're Mm -hmm. getting her a car. So, you know, go ahead with your bad self. Um, So, because she planned to call into work, he thought it was weird she would have gone out without letting him know. The answering machine at the condo wasn't activated, and usually when they leave, they make a note to activate the machine if no one will be home. Mm-hmm. So that's very old school. Like, the answering machine used to be a separate device, and 
even when we were growing up, I don't think you had to activate it. You just plugged it in. Yeah. Like, you didn't have to activate it. So at this point in time, you had to, like, make sure I turn on the answering machine. Mm-hmm. So, yes. So, like, it was weird. It was like the at- it just wasn't the normal steps that they would take right. if they were going to leave. So he thought something was weird. So he walks inside and finds Sherry dead on the living room floor. Mm. Yeah. Shot three times with what would later be identified as a federal thirty-eight caliber J plus P. There were signs of a struggle. A porcelain vase was broken and looked to have been broken over Sherry's head before she was shot. There was also a bloody handprint next to the security alarm's panic button, mm-hmm. which, you know, that means she tried mm-hmm. and didn't make it. That's terrible. Yeah. And a, and so it was a bloody handprint on the near next to the panic button mm-hmm. and a dining room cabinet uh, was turned over. So I guess there was one on the dining room cabinet and it had been turned over. It looked like someone tried to tie Sherry up at one point or another. She had defensive wounds and a bruise on her face that looked like it was caused by the muzzle of a gun. Mm. Mm -hmm. So they think she was kind of like pistol whipped. The gun was fired through a quilted blanket to probably muffle the sound. And there was also a bite mark on her arm. Um, An investigating criminalist noticed and he took a swap from it. So this was like a pretty big fight it wasn't you know quick at all Mm -hmm. so lapd detectives that investigated the case said sherry was most likely surprised and killed by a burglar sherry was wearing a bathrobe nightgown and underwear so she didn't seem to be expecting company and the maid that heard the screaming and fighting did not recall hearing gunshots she thought the whole event was a domestic dispute and did not call the police which why didn't you yeah you know even if you, which I guess it was kind of, I don't know how long she heard people mm-hmm. yelling. But, like, when you heard somebody yelling and then you heard a thud. Yeah. You know, but, I mean, I'm not shaming her. I'm just surprised because I feel yeah. like I'd be like, mm, that's weird. But anyway, so, when looking at the crime scene, it seemed the robber was in the process of taking some electronic equipment when Sherry confronted them. And as a result... Some jewelry had been left behind, and her car was taken as the getaway car. The only thing that seemed to have been taken from their place was the couple's marriage license. Her B&W was found a week later, but there was no evidence found in the vehicle. Lyle Meyer, or Mayer, the lead detective of the case, considered other possibilities besides the robbery-gone-wrong motive. He ruled out her husband as a suspect— John had quit his job and moved away from L.A. shortly after the murder, which sounds suspicious if you ask me, but, you know, what did I know? Yeah, it is suspicious. Yeah, you know, but also, I guess, if your wife was murdered or your fiancé was murdered, I probably would, you know, honestly do the same thing, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it just, people grieve different. Yeah. Do, people act different. When they're grieving. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the police decided to remain focused on the possibility of burglary, especially since one was later reported in the same area where one of the two suspects had been carrying a thirty-eight caliber, like the one that killed Sherry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, okay, this could just be a string of robbers who are don't care to kill someone. Yeah. So Mayor's partner, Steve Hooks, found the bite mark unusual 
as bites during struggles are much more commonly inflicted by women, while the majority of burglars are men. But because men have bitten opponents during fights as well, the burglar theory stuck as the main one for the case. The suspected burglar or burglars detectives thought did the crime remained at large, even though a follow-up story in the newspaper was printed eight months later and offered a reward by Sherry's family. The LAPD got caught up with the violence that came from gang wars and the crack epidemic that ran through the city, so they were unable to spend a lot of time on the case. Sherry's family says that the Van Nuys office, um, like the police department, were often unhelpful when the family called, hanging up on them or putting them on hold. Wow. Yeah. Like, come on now. Mm-mm-mm. We got to do better. Yep. So, a year after the murder, the family was frustrated and reminded the public. Rightfully so. Yeah. Like, my daughter has been murdered clear as day. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, it was probably an accident. Like, she has been brutally murdered. Brutally, yeah. And y'all aren't doing anything about it? Like, you you know, you're putting us on hold. You're hanging up on us? Mm-hmm. So... Uh, they reminded the public of their offer to reward people who could help the case at a press conference and called for more action. Nels Rasmussen, which is Sherry's father, told Daryl Gates, then chief of the LAPD, about the possibility of a woman that could be involved. Detectives told him that he watched too much television. Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah. He continued to publicize the reward and later worked with a television series called Murder One that did a segment inspired by the case. The woman he mentioned to the chief was one he and Sherry's mom Loretta had also mentioned to Lyle Mayer, the original lead detective, and he had made a note of this woman but didn't exactly follow up with, you know, any Mm -hmm. kind of details for her. And her name was Stephanie Lazarus. While an undergrad at UCLA from 1978 to 1982, John Rutan, which is Sherry's husband, mm-hmm. occasionally dated Stephanie, a fellow Dijkstra Hall resident from Simi Valley, California. Stephanie would steal John's clothes when he showered and take pictures of him naked while he was asleep. Aww. Yeah, which is <laughs> odd. You know who this is sounding like, right? Who? Jody Arias. Oh. Mm-hmm. She did that same thing where she took a picture of, um, and I feel so bad because I should know his name because he's the victim. Um, so I apologize. But she took a picture of him when he was in the shower, and it was like the last picture uh, that was taken of him alive. And so that's how they ended up Mm-mm. catching her, kind of, you know. So that aside with all the other thing she was doing that was like unhinged Mm -hmm. people were like "Mm, it was probably her but anyway so um okay so john never thought the relationship this is really start i didn't realize how similar these are the only difference is there's another woman involved yeah um and it wouldn't surprise me if she if jody arias wouldn't have killed someone else yeah anyway so john had never thought their relationship was more than hooking up They had sex for the first time after he graduated and happened between 20 to 30 times, which I'm like, oh, okay, from 1981 to 1984. But she was never his girlfriend. He had just accepted a job with a hard drive manufacturer, and she applied to the city's police academy and went on to become an officer with the LAPD in 1983, which is three years before Sherry's murder. 
So, like, they went their separate ways. She became a cop. You know, mm-hmm. he did his thing. So John later met Sherry, and she graduated from Loma Linda University and was on a fast career track in critical care nursing. Uh, she entered college at 16, and by her late 20s, she was the director of a nursing Oh, she was the director of nursing at Glendale Adventist Medical Center, giving presentations and teaching classes for fellow nurses. So just think, yeah, like she is, like she's bad. She Mm -hmm. bad with it, okay? She is. She's in her late 20s. Doing all that. Giving presentations and teaching classes for fellow nurses. Mm -hmm. So you know there's people in there 10, 20 years older than Mm -hmm. her, and she's like, I'm in charge. Yeah. I got this. Go ahead, girl. Um, so let's see. At one point, Stephanie threw John a surprise party on his 25th birthday. This was before she was dating. He was dating other women or that he had. So this happened before he was dating, you know, other women or had started a serious relationship with Sherry. So when she found out he was dating Sherry, she was tore up. She wrote a letter in 1985 to John's mother, y'all. To his mother. Imagine being so tore up that somebody that you were messing around with started dating someone that you wrote their mom about it. Yeah. Like, what? Okay. And. Obsession. Yeah. She said, and I quote, I'm truly in love with John and the past year has really torn me up. I wish it didn't end the way it did. And I don't think I'll ever understand his decision. Okay. So, yeah. In her journal, she wrote, I really don't feel like working. I found out that John is getting married. So, like, she's all depressed, you know, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, I get that, you know, but she's doing the most a little bit. So, she's all depressed and visits, visits John at the condo where they had sex to give her closure. Mm-mm. So he's with Sherry at this point. Yeah. Okay. While John and Sherry were engaged, Stephanie brought her skis to the apartment, to their apartment, and asked him to wax them. Even though Sherry was not happy about it, he still did it. Mm-hmm. Sherry thought it was a little strange since Lazarus was dressed in a sexy workout in sexy workout clothes. And after Stephanie left, Sherry asked John if their relationship was really over. John told her that they were just friends. And a few days later, Stephanie returned to pick up her skis in uniform and armed after he left for work. Okay, so John's gone to work. Mm-hmm. And she shows up in uniform, armed, to come pick up the skis, like trying to be all intimidating. Yeah. So this made Sherry nervous, and she begged John to make her stop coming by. John just told her to ignore Stephanie and that there was nothing going on with them. Which I'm like, respect my wishes, please. Right, yeah. You know, like, don't put me off like that. She's coming around with a gun. Yeah. We know that y'all had a past. Like, no. Mm-hmm. So Sherry's dad said Stephanie visited Sherry at her office and told her things weren't over between her and John and said, if I can't have John, no one else will. Cool. Yeah. So she's just blatant. And this is a police officer. Mm-hmm. Don't forget that. Okay. So Nails, Sherry's dad, said shortly before her death, Sherry called and said she was scared Stephanie was stalking her on the street. John and Sherry were married a few months later in November. 
So this is still 1985. Okay. Uh, so they were only married roughly three months when she was killed. Wow. Yeah, I mean, just couldn't even give them some time to, you know, be happy or anything. So her dad also said he didn't believe that Sherry, who was six feet tall, had a larger frame and was in good physical shape, had been the victim of a botched burglary. Right. It would have been a struggle for anyone to subdue her in close quarters. And Mayer, the lead investigator, had told him at one point the struggle may have lasted an hour and a half. Wow. Yes. Which That's a long time. I couldn't fight for an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. I can Shoot. barely fight in five minutes. Yeah, I'm like, I gotta run away. <laughs> I can't be using that much physical stamina for an hour and a half yeah. to fight somebody. Good Lord. Good Lord, Janet. Yeah, like, what? So, um, and they said, you know, that's a long time for burglars, for burglars that are after items of value in a home. Like, no burglar is going to be just, that is just trying to steal, is going to be hanging out in your house for an hour and a half, you know? So, Mayor also said whoever shot Sherry had fired directly into her chest at close range. Yeah, and taken the trouble to muffle the shot with a quilt suggesting that the killing was deliberate and not an accident or last-minute thought in a botched robbery, mm-hmm. which is true. No one's going to be yeah. like, oh, I got to kill them now. Well, where's a blanket? Yeah. Like, you know. So Mayer eventually retired, and the new detective assigned to the case told Nails he was unable to follow up on Mayer's notes and didn't think any new leads would be found. So they're just kind of like, I don't know if there's anything else we can do. Yeah. So Nails was told in 1993 when he offered to pay for DNA testing on the evidence from the murder, that the police had to have a suspect in order to proceed with testing. Which, why? Yeah. How do you, how are we going to find another suspect without these prints? What if they match something? But this is 85, so I don't, Yeah. it may not have been, you know. So he literally let technology catch up and offered to pay for the testing himself, and they still kept him from doing it. In 89, three years after Sherry had passed, Stephanie and John had a brief fling. Mayer's notes showed that John had called him and asked if he was absolutely sure there was no evidence linking Stephanie to his late wife's murder. Mm -hmm. Which this is like, okay, and I'm not trying to talk bad about him because he's obviously a victim in this too. He lost his wife. Mm -hmm. But I'm just like, so you weren't really over this stuff with Stephanie. Yeah. You know? Like, it's just crazy because it's like, okay, before I get, have a little fling, let me just make sure 100% she didn't kill my wife. Right. That's. What? That's insane. Like, just leave her alone. But anyway, so during this time, Stephanie continued working with the LAPD. She also started Unique Investigations, her own private investigation firm. She earned medals, including one gold at the 1987 World Police and Fire Games in San Diego, which I didn't know this was even a thing. But I guess they have some kind of competition between police officers and firefighters. That's crazy. Like, why? Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's just something they do. So in 93, after working in the Departments of Drug Abuse Resistance Education and Internal Affairs, which if you don't know, internal affairs means um, investigating other police officers on their actions um, and behaviors if there's a complaint. Mm-hmm. So she worked in that drug abuse education and uh, place and then internal affairs. And then she became a detective. 
So by 1996, she married a fellow officer and adopted a daughter with him, moving back to Simi Valley, her hometown. Hmm. At work, she became an instructor at the police academy. John ended up remarrying as well. He, well, well, I said as well, but she didn't remarry. She was never married. But he ended up remarrying, and he did not pressure the police as his former father-in-law had. So he just kind of is just trying to move on. Uh, So in the late 90s, after DNA testing had become more of a thing, the LAPD formed a new unit that looked through the forensic evidence collected from the department's cold case files to see if any new leads could come through the DNA. Among this evidence was the DNA from Sherry's condo and was considered a good candidate to find new leads all of a sudden. But it wasn't until 2004 that criminalist Jennifer Francis was able to analyze it. So how long, like late 90s to 2004. So we're looking at five, six, maybe seven years that it took for it to even be analyzed. Mm -hmm. So some of the evidence from the case, including what might have contained the suspect's DNA, was missing. Oh, yep. Yep. Because it was collected in 1993 by another detective. Francis did not find any matches in the combined DNA index system database, but she did find out the saliva from Sherry's bite mark came from a female, which was the opposite of what the detectives had thought, you know, with the burglar Mm -hmm. theory. Several years later, Francis said it was weird, but she was given access to not just the DNA sample, but the entire case file. It was given to her to help decide which other samples she should analyze. When she found out the suspect was female, she came across a report of a third-party female who had allegedly harassed Sherry at her job and residence before the murder, which we know that's Stephanie. Stephanie. Yeah. So when she was, when she asked the detective over her if this woman had been investigated, he apparently said, oh, you mean the LAPD detective? He told her about Stephanie being John's ex and that she was a current LAPD detective, but she's not a part of this. He's like, yeah, you know, that's his ex, but she didn't do anything. He insisted that the case was just a burglary at the department as the department had decided long ago. Mm -hmm. No other detective would pursue the case and the evidence went back into the files. This is insane to me. Yeah. Like I know it's one of their own, but it's crazy that they won't even get a sample when it's on record that Sherry told her parents, who then told two head investigators that she was terrified of Stephanie yeah. and that she may have been stalking her in public. Mm-hmm. They just... Like, come on now. So, <laughs> I mean, they're acting like a police officer has never done anything wrong yeah, in their like, lives. If you're a police officer, you're a good person. Like, that's not... <laughs> yeah. That's not how life works. Right. Like, come on now. So, by 2009, crime in L.A. had declined enough from the past that the detectives began looking into cold cases, again, to increase their clearance rates, which I'm like, how do y'all not have a cold case team by then? You would think. Yeah. I mean, okay, L.A. has one of the oldest cold cases in America, and they didn't have a big team back in 2009? The Black Dahlia happened in L.A. Yeah. Like... Literally just huge case unsolved. And it took until 2009 for there to be a big thing like this. That's crazy. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. 
Yeah, I mean, I may be wrong, but the way the article read was as if, you know, it was something mm-hmm. they could focus on finally in 2009. So I don't know. But in Van Nuys, Jim Nuttall and Pete Barba reviewed the Rasmussen file and found it interesting enough to pursue. Because the DNA pointed to a female suspect, they decided the burglary theory, the burglary theory was invalid and they start from the beginning. So they're like, we're just going to start from scratch. Mm-hmm. So Jim and Pete looked at the case as a murder with the burglary staged to throw police off the trail. Many things about the crime were unlikely signs that it was a break-in, especially the fact that it was committed in daylight. The couple's jewelry box was in plain view on top of the dresser and had not been touched. The condo was in the middle of a gated complex surrounded by other condos that the burglar, that the burglar could be easily observed from. Mm-hmm. The front door had an alarm warning and had not been forced open, as it might have been if the burglars had thought they'd be breaking in somewhere when no one else was home. Inside, a key part of the crime scene was also inconsistent with the burglary theory. So at the top of the stairs, there was a stack of stereo equipment on top of a VCR, which remember, this is the late 80s, so those are still very expensive. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. that would be like an item you'd want to get the stereo equipment or even the VCR. Mm -hmm. So if, well, I don't know about the VCR, the VCR may not have been, but you never know. I mean, I mean, you can sell anything. (laughs) So any, if the struggle between Sherry and her attacker began upstairs and then continued downstairs, that stack would likely have been knocked downstairs and scattered as well. So it made more sense to assume it had been stacked afterwards, which you know, kind of gets rid of the whole thief thing because mm-hmm. what thief is just going to stack stuff right back up whenever they're trying to flee the sheet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> they would have been <laughs> fleeing the scene after the murder. Oh, okay. All right. The forensics proved this theory as well. On a record player, on top of the stack of equipment, there was, so I guess there was a VCR and this record player. Um, but anyway, on top of that, there was a thumb-shaped blood stain. It had no print, suggesting whoever left it was wearing gloves to avoid leaving their actual prints. The blood ended up being Sherry's, Sherry's which means it was most likely after the murder when the killer stacked the equipment. Which I still don't understand why you would even do that. Why, why bother? Anyway, I'm just thinking, like, I don't know. I don't know. The murder had um, four bound volumes for the case file. And from that, they developed a list of five female suspects. Jim was shocked when John told him over the phone that Stephanie was a police officer. By that time, Stephanie had been promoted to a higher level of detective and was working art theft cases as part of the commercial crimes division. Mm -hmm. So, like, she's moved up to white-collar crime. Stephanie was one of two detectives in the nation's only full-time unit devoted to art theft. She gained some local attention when she and her partner recovered a stolen statue. She told a local newspaper she learned to paint for the job. Off the job, she had been active in the L.A. Women Police Officers Association and organized child care for families of officers. She also did all kinds of other good things in the community as well. Jim and Pete knew with Stephanie still being in the department and being a role model in the community, they would have to tread carefully. I mean, because, you know, you can't you can't just be coming for someone like that when they're 
that big of a figure. Like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Still, they had Stephanie as one of the five promising suspects. Since they read in the files that she and John had ended any relationship they had over the summer before the murder. Two investigators soon eliminated all but one of the women. The other, an old co-worker of Sherry's who had some disputes with her, was eliminated by DNA they collected on what was basically a secret mission. With only Stephanie Lazarus left, they kept the investigation close to their chest. Her husband worked in the commercial crime. Her husband also worked in the commercial crimes division, and she could have friends that would tip her off if they heard anything. So they're like, "We gotta keep this on the low." Mm-hmm. If she's the killer, she could have improved her defense. If she isn't, then they could have accidentally smeared a fellow officer's name, who had a perfect service record of the course of her career. So yeah, they're just like, if we're wrong, we're gonna ruin someone's reputation. If we're right and someone finds out, then she could try to build up her defense and then we may end up not solving the case either way. So she also had no disciplinary investigations or civilian complaints. So, I mean, she's like squeaky clean. When they talk about her, they called her number five. Mm -hmm. They worked on the case after hours or behind closed doors and even had cover stories to explain why they wanted to look at personnel records for one particular officer from 20 years ago. Pete and Jim began looking into Stephanie's life during the mid-80s. Another detective said most LAPD officers at the time preferred a 38 as their backup or off-duty carry gun. In fact, they were, on- they were required to only purchase weapons compatible with the federal plus P ammunition that had been used in the murder. Mm-hmm. State and departmental records showed that Stephanie had owned a Smith & Wesson model 49 38 caliber at the time and reported it stolen to Santa Monica police 13 days after the murder. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, hmm, okay. She didn't report it to her own department's armorer, which is the person over the armory where the cops get their guns. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of weird. Since the location Stephanie had reported it stolen was near a popular pier, they figured she had thrown the gun in the Pacific. Mm. So she's like, mm, she's going to get rid of the gun to be like, oh, it's gone. I lost it. So without the weapon, DNA would be the only definite way to connect the crime to her. So the two detectives theorized from their own experience about how an L- about how a LAP, I want to say Anne, but it's <laughs> a, yeah. a LAPD officer would commit a murder. They figured it would be better to do it on a day off, of course, and Stephanie was off the day Sherry was killed. An officer would know better than to use the gun they have on duty, since you'd have to get rid of it after the crime, and the penalties for using a duty gun or failing to prevent its theft were severe. So, like, obviously, it's bad news if you lose that gun, but if you lose the other gun, it's not so bad. Nails had also told the two about the continued contact she had with Sherry, which had not had not been in the files, despite him mentioning it frequently during interviews with the two lead investigators wow. before. How y'all not, like, Mm-mm-mm. the lack of care in this case is mind-boggling to me. Yeah. Like, just missing little details that literally, this case could have been solved mm-hmm. so much sooner, like, quick, fast, in a hurry, if they had just done everything by the book. So, realizing that she was their prime suspect, the detectives informed their superiors and arranged to discreetly collect a voluntary discarded DNA sample from her. Knowing they could do so without having to get a warrant, 
which would have let Stephanie know she was under investigation. While Stephanie was off-duty running errands, she threw away a cup she was drinking from, and they scooped it up. It matched the DNA from the bite mark on Sherry Rasmussen. Boom. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. Stephanie. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, the end, period. Like, she's done for. Okay. So, on June 5th, 2009. Now, remember, this happened when? 85? 86? A month after we graduated high school. Oh. 2009 is what she means, not 85 or 86. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. We ain't that old. So 1986 to 2009. Yeah. So 23 years after. Like, this could have been solved in five yeah, years. That's crazy. If that. So on June 9th, 2009, Stephanie Lazarus found herself on the wrong side of the law. Mm-hmm. She appeared in court in an orange jumpsuit, appearing distressed, her eyes wide open. <laughs> a pic will be on the Instagram because she looks terrifying. Like, mm-hmm. I just, she just looks, mm-mm. So on March 9th, 2012, Lazarus was found guilty of first-degree murder. During the testimony heard before sentencing, John Rutten said, The fact that Sherry's death occurred because she met and married me brings me to my knees. On May 11th, Lazarus was sentenced to 27 years at the Central California Women's Facility Prison. She will be eligible for parole in 2039. Wow. So 16 years from now, she'll be eligible for parole. And that is the sad murder of Sherry Rasmussen. Like, she could have been. Yeah. Like, who knows what she could have done, you know, with her, like, advancing so quickly in the nursing field like who knows it's just awful all over this man yeah that that like oh if i can't have him no one will but then he remarried so you just wanted to kill sherry and then that was it like you knew you couldn't kill someone else and get away with it so you're like oh i guess she'll have to live this other lady you know yeah that's just terrible yeah and then i wonder how he feels because he slept with her again Oh, he probably feels... There's a lot of guilt there. Mm-hmm. For sure. Which he said it it brings and, him to his knees, but... And not listening. Yeah. No one to listened wife. to the parents. Like, yeah. And he... Yeah. I can't imagine. Like, if you didn't listen to someone you loved and then they died when they were, like, That'd really be, scared. Yeah. That would be terrible. Yeah. And then you sleep with their killer. Mm-mm. Like, ugh. it amazes me what stuff people do. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's crazy. I mean, I just couldn't believe it. I can't imagine. So, our hearts go out to her family mm-hmm. and to him, even though I was kind of mad at him. Yeah. I'm like, all right, John. But, you know, I can't imagine going through that. So, I can't judge him. I shouldn't yeah. judge him. But anyway, that's the case of Sherry Rasmussen and how her killer, Stephanie Lazarus, was convicted. It was good the first time, and it was good the second time. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. So, you all, questions, comments, concerns, email us at amillionmurders at gmail.com. Check out our Instagram, the pictures of the people, places, things. Also, check out our Facebook page and group. (laughs) <laughs> I was like group. Facebook group mm-hmm. 
Uh, we have updates sometimes, you know, and if you want to ask questions and stuff on that, you can, and suggestions and whatnot. Yes, yes, yes. So, thank you all so much for tuning in. And we hope you come back for... A million million more. more. Bye. Bye.